thanks to our title sponsor, National University. National University is committed to supporting veterans, active duty personnel, and military families through flexible online courses and master's and doctoral programs in high-demand fields, providing excellent career advancement opportunity. National University is a yellow ribbon school that proudly accepts the post-9-11 GI Bill and goes the extra mile by offering additional assistance to cover expenses that may not be covered by the GI Bill. To learn more, visit nu.edu forward slash veteran. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fighter Pilot Podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Aiello, and Happy New Year's. I hope 2021 is off to a great start for you. We're certainly optimistic for the new year, and I don't know about you, I'm glad to put 2020 in the rearview mirror. It was quite a challenging year, but on the other hand, I hope like we are, you're looking at all the positives that came out of it, and for us, especially here on the show, we had a lot of great episodes, and December was no exception. We wrapped up the year with the E2 Hawkeye. Then we had Rico return talking about his three air-to-air kills. That was amazing. And then we had the NORAD Santa Tracker and episode 100. And all of those have had a really big impact. We had a lot of folks sign up after the Rico episode. We had a lot of folks also reach out after the NORAD Santa Tracker saying they played it for their children and what a difference it made and some wide eyes about, wait, he's really real? (laughs) That was fun. And then of course, episode 100 was just a great celebration. Appreciate all the feedback, folks uh, writing and leaving social media comments, congratulating us, as well as to all the guests who made it possible, even those who phoned in their notes of congratulations. So we're just really grateful that we had a good year and we're looking forward to the year to come. Now for 2021, as we spoke of on episode 100, we're moving our release schedule just a little bit. It's our fourth year. So you can expect Fighter Pilot Podcast episodes to release on the fours, the 4th, 14th, and 24th of every month at 4 a.m. Pacific time. Since that's where I live, I figure that's what we'll go with. And as you probably already know, we're kicking it off with the Century Series. Episodes 101 through 106 will be with their corresponding Century Series fighter, except for episode 103. That'll be the F-100. And so we've been pretty busy. We're going to be busy. We're going to take a break on this episode, and we're going to replay an intermission. It's a happy hour discussion, and happy hour is one of the many features on Patreon for folks who support the show. Anyway, it's a casual discussion, but we want you to get to know Mr. Bruce Gordon, who is a 1960s-era U.S. Air Force fighter pilot. He has 132 combat missions in Vietnam and dropped bombs from the F-100. He also has experience in the other Century Series fighters, so he's going to return as co-host for our Century Series aircraft, and you need to get to know him first, so that's what this intermission episode will be, and we're really looking forward to it, and it should be a good time. Anyway, before we go, we do have a lot of new Patreon supporters, and we'd like to name the top three tiers, starting with our strike leads. We have Josh Pine, Anthelise Louder-Edwards, Christopher Schmidt, Alexander Tangen, Mr. Purple, Timothy Schaffer, Carrie Brunstall, Bjorn Almgren, Michael Bartoletta, and Connor Robertson. At Mission Commanders, we have two of those. That's Kyle Marles and Josh Newell. And the highest possible tier, those are the Air Bosses, Rick Knack, Hartnack, and Pat Card. So big thanks to all the folks who support the show, especially our strike leads and above. And if you want to join those and check out our exclusive content, even have uh, some bonus material t-shirts, polos, pictures, all kinds of different things, even a 30-minute debrief with me. Well, go over and check out patreon.com and search for the Fighter Pilot Podcast, and you can gain access to all that and support the show. All right, well, let's get to Bruce, and then we'll see you in about 10 days on the 14th for episode 101, which will be, duh, the F-101 Voodoo. All right, take it away, Bruce. (laughs) 
All right. Well, Bruce, the light is flashing at me, so I guess we're recording. How are you doing today? I'm doing just fine here in Kentucky. <laughs> Kentucky. All right. Is that where you're from? No. I was born in the Philippines, actually. Oh, that's right. My life in the Philippines, Hong Kong, in Hawaii, and then in the Air Force. You're a man of the world. You've been probably just about everywhere. Not the nice places, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you describe as the nice places? Well, I mean, Europe and all those, I never <laughs> got signed out there. No, no, you talk about Alaska and, you know, Korea, Vietnam. Those were interesting places, but they're not the nice places. To spend uh, some time in Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. I guess it depends on your definition of nice. I like Alaska in the summertime. Well, yeah, yeah, but I was there for three years. <laughs> well, it's good to have you on the show today, and uh, I look forward to just having a little chat. Now, as we talked about before we hit record, the idea here is that we are going to have a little happy hour discussion, and that we're going to talk about some of your experiences particularly flying the various Century Series aircraft, and we can talk about uh, any kind of writing you've done. Ideally, Bruce, if it works out, we'd like to have you come back and be our guest co-host on the Century Series aircraft, because have you flown pretty much all of them, or have you flown all of them, or at least you know something about all of them? Let's start there. Yes, I flew <laughs> 300 hours in the F-100, okay. 600 hours in the F-102, and 1,200 hours in the F-106. Okay. So got some experience there on those three airplanes, and I've flown against the F-4, and I've flown against the F-101. All right. So, But you haven't flown, let's see, the 101, the 104, or the 105? You went too quick for me to keep up. I flew okay. against the 104. Which one did you have the most flying experiences in? Well, I love the F-106 most. Okay. Shall I just go through the three airplanes and give some background on them? That sounds good. The F-100 that anyone thinks is a fighter was actually inferior to both the F-102 and the 106. In what regard? I just have some basic data. The F-100 and the F-102 had the same engine, but probably because of the intake situation, the F-100 got 16,000 pounds of thrust, while the F-102 got 17,000 pounds of thrust out of the same engine. And now let's try maneuvering those airplanes, okay? The F-100 had a wing load of 72 pounds per square inch. The F-102 had a wing loading of 35 pounds per square inch. So is this golf or football? Is less better or is more better? Less is better. Okay. You had less loading, you can turn harder, sharper. Okay. The F-102 while we never really officially put it against the F-100, there were a couple of stories that would come back from exercises where the F-102s were coming in as an attack force 
and the F-100s were defending. And we kept hearing that the F-102 could really outturn the F-100. That was not official, but when I later flew the F-100, I said, yes, the F-102 could outturn the F-100. The F-102 was far superior to the F-100, except it didn't have any guns and didn't carry bombs. What did it do? Just missiles? It has missiles. Okay. And it was one of the first planes to have missiles. And while they always talk about the F-106 carrying the Genie nuclear rocket, you know, that yield of 1.5 kilotons, and the main problem with that is that you're usually shooting it at one airplane, and that was a bit of overkill. <laughs> the blast would probably blind you or your friends who might be looking around in the same area, and you're supposed to declare on guard channel Big bang in 30 seconds, big bang in 20 seconds, you know, so they can cover their eyes. You're in the middle of a war. You're not going to be out there doing those dumb things. Let's hope. Uh, you'll fire your missile and, and your friends who are flying around there will go blind. So it was a lousy weapon to begin with. The F-102 now had a nuclear missile. People don't even talk about it. But the AIM-26A was a guided missile launched by the F-102. It had, instead of 1.5 kilotons that you had for the 106, which was one hell of a bang, it had a 250 tons of explosives, TNT equivalent, which was uh, one-sixth of the blow, and you're shooting at one airplane. They don't come over like in World War II with masses of bombers. The F-102's missile was better than the nuke on the 106, but they always talk about the nuke on the 106. <laughs> now, the guided missile on the 102 was so good, it actually was larger than the regular Falcon, and it had some neat ECCM features. So it had a probability of kill that was the same as with a conventional warhead, just explosive. It had the same probability of kill as it had with a nuke. You know, what's this nuke for? <laughs> Now, I flew with the nuclear version in Alaska. Supposedly, well, they don't talk about it, but we did fly with the nuclear version. And some of our planes were flying with the nuclear version in a story I'll tell about the 102 when I get into telling 102 stories. It's my story about the 102. Mm -hmm. But nukes were a problem. All sorts of problems. I can I imagine. I would rather do without them. <laughs> Real quick, Bruce. Electronic counter countermeasures, ECCM. Yes. So if you're using the electromagnetic spectrum to shoot a missile at me, 
and I take that signal and try to do something corrupting to it back at you, that's ECM. And what you're saying is your missile has the ability to counter my counter. Is that yes? Okay. All right. So Perfect. moving on. But and then also these missiles now. I don't know, these days, anything nuclear has sort of a negative connotation to it, even power plants. What are we talking here, 50s for these aircraft? 60s, yes, 60s. 60s. How are we justifying shooting, never mind how effective it is, how are we justifying to the world shooting nuclear-equipped, I always say it wrong, I always want to say nuclear, but it's nuclear, right? How do we justify shooting nuclear-tipped weapons at other aircraft? Well, because our first weapons at that time were not very accurate, <laughs> where there's a great fear that with their electronic countermeasures, their ECM, they could defeat our missiles. Now, the Genie missile, to me, had one really great feature on it, was that it was a rocket, actually. It wasn't a missile. It did not guide. I fired some training versions of it, which were the non-nuclear, just carried a spotting charge at targets. Mm -hmm. And it goes straight. And it goes for time. And it goes out in front of you for so long and then blows up with 1.5 kilotons. <laughs> of explosive, and it cleans out the air out there. Yeah, including you, probably. Well, supposedly we could get away. The problem was that they didn't talk about is suppose the enemy is coming in low over Canada or the United States. Mm -hmm. Now, we lob this thing out at there, and it goes off bang. Well, what about the people on the ground? <laughs> We, we're supposed to protect the people on the ground. Let me, I could go a little technical on it. One thing we did have fear with shooting down Russian bombers over America. There is something called the dead man switch. I assume you've heard about it on nuclear weapons. As the bomber is shot down, if they arm it when they come into your area, and now if they are shot down as it falls, it will detonate when it gets to the proper altitude, wherever it is. And so you've got a megaton bomb going off somewhere. There's nowhere in the United States that you want to have a megaton bomb going off. Of course, but it's going to do much less damage over cornfields in the Midwest than it is over Chicago or New York. Yes, but there's another thing that with a nuclear rocket or missile that we fire at it, the pulse, and it's not just the electromagnetic pulse, it's also the proton pulse, shall okay. I say. And I'm not a nuclear scientist, but it will overwhelm. Suppose it does not destroy the weapon, okay? The weapon just flies around in the shock, but it will be destroyed by the pulse of protons hitting it that will make it not have a nuclear detonation. So you can kill the bomb. It's important to kill the bomb. Now, 
Just say one more thing. You've heard about the Japanese kamikazes. Mm -hmm. Now, we were kamikazes. There was no way we were going to let a Russian bomber get through us in Alaska if we were still alive. If I fired my missiles and they jammed the missiles and I missed, I was going to ram them. Okay. All right. We had in our books the proper ramming technique hmm. where we would hit the elevators come in below and come up and hit the elevators on the tail and break off the elevators and cause the plane to crash. But a couple of things. First of all, he's got a tail gun. And if you're coming up there nicely under, you're supposed to be able to survive the impact with the tail. That tail gun is going to kill you before you get there. So this is just something for the books. Instead, what we talked about and what I plan to do, if a Russian plane had jammed my missiles, I would go above it and go supersonic and dive right for where the wing joins the fuselage, which is where the bomb is. And most of the fuel. Well, the fuel may be in the wings. The bomb is there in the center. And I want to hit the bomb and cause a one-point detonation, single-point detonation, where all the explosive in the bomb goes off, but not the nuke. Okay. It doesn't get a nuclear reaction. It destroys the bomb. So if you're going to go kamikaze, you might as well destroy the bomb. That's why you're doing it. Okay. Well, Bruce, we went dark quickly here, uh, straight to the nuclear stuff. But I guess to be fair, when the Century Series aircraft were conceived, it was the height of the Cold War. And so the nuclear issue was, I think, on everyone's mind because the Soviet Union and the Americans were at odds, I would say. And so that was the problem, right, was the Russian bombers coming over and possibly striking the U.S. And so that was your part was to defend the homeland from nuclear bombs. Yes, and everyone assumed that a war between the U.S. and Russia would be nuclear. Then and, we had those small uh, skirmishes in places like Korea and Vietnam instead. Right. <laughs> and that was, in a way, while they call the mad concept of mutual assured destruction being you know, somehow immoral, in a way, it saved the world because it scared us all into not fighting. <laughs> and we had one of the longest eras of peace that mm -hmm. we've had. It succeeded in a way. People don't admit it. But I'm not, a, as you can tell, I'm not in favor of carrying these things around. <laughs> uh, now our missiles are so effective that you don't need the nuke. Thank goodness. All right, so let's get back to the Century Series. Which one, okay. you said you flew the 100, the 102, and the 106? Yes. Which one did you fly first? I flew the F-102 first. I'll tell you a quick story about that, if I may. Absolutely. I'm a junior pilot. I got assigned to the squadron. I got checked out, and I was combat ready. This was now in 1963. And we had an exercise. 
I participated. It was one of the first sky shield exercises where our strategic air command tried to attack us. And we defended against the strategic air command and all civilian air traffic was grounded that day. So we had full use of airspace and so did they. So did the SAC bombers. And anyway, I won't even talk much about that because that was a day of, of heavy flying. At the end of the day, I came back, debriefed, went home, and got in the bathtub, took off my flight suit and got in the bathtub. We were just lying back for a nice bath, and their phone rang. My wife answered. She says, it's a squadron. They want you down there immediately. Immediately. Uh, okay, out of the tub, you know, back in the flight suit. And as fast as I could down to the squadron. And when I got to the squadron operations, I was astounded to walk in, and the wing commander was there, dressed in his bathrobe and slippers. <laughs> I said, ooh, this is important. He said, Russian bombers over Alaska. Get a plane and get out there. So I got my plane designation, ran down, grabbed my parachute and helmet, and out to the door, got to the line taxi, got to my plane, F-102, and there was some crew chiefs around trying to get them. I ran out there, and the first thing you do is open the missile bay and look and see what your weapons are. None. Because we'd had this exercise, and they had downloaded all the weapons so that we didn't shoot down any sack bombers by accident. So I had no weapons. So I'm running around. I look down the flight line, and along comes the weapons convoy. No, usual thing, slow. I think they got a five-mile-an-hour, 15-mile-an-hour speed limit or whatever it is. And I'm jumping up and down and waving my arms up there saying, come on, yeah. So I think they speeded up a bit. When they got there, I said, there's Russian bombers over Alaska. Load up those damn missiles. So they got me. They came up, you know, all this checklist stuff. Forget that. They slammed the missiles on, got the thing up, and I got. But I was now behind the shows. This really wasn't about me. I admit I was behind everybody. Okay, I didn't get into it. But I'll tell you what happened. If you've always dreamt of a career in aviation while keeping your feet on the ground, then Air Corps Aviation is the place for you. Since 2008, Air Corps Aviation has been at the forefront of modernizing the airworthiness of legacy aircraft dating back to World War II. Their dedicated team specializes in numerous aerospace disciplines, including manufacturing, fabrication, restoration, and support, all while incorporating state-of-the-art technology. In 2024, Air Corps Aviation is expanding its team with job openings in engineering and computer-aided design, quality, fabrication, and restoration. Live where others vacation in northern Minnesota while enjoying paid time off, health insurance and savings accounts, retirement plans, life insurance, and best of all, most Fridays off. If you're ready to be a part of a team fulfilling dreams through the preservation of historical aircraft, visit aircoreaviation.com careers and take your first step towards an exciting career in aviation. That's aircoreaviation.com careers. Visit today. Two Russian bear bombers. Those are the turboprops. 
counter-rotating turboprops, came over. We had all landed and gone home. They came into Alaska from the west, and they penetrated about 200 miles into Alaska. By the time I had got into this, we had very few fighters left that were armed. We had a few. And they, by the way, had nuclear weapons on them. There was a big error from the ground people. They aimed everybody in front of the bombers, assuming they were going to continue on. They were coming right toward Anchorage. But suddenly, and we apparently recorded their voices, suddenly one of the Russian bombers said something to the other one, and the two of them turned around hard and raced back at full speed back toward Russia. All our planes were headed ahead of them. So now all these F-102s, now we had a bunch of them up there, were suddenly in a tail chase with the Russian bombers. And this is night now. And the Russian bombers were coming in with, we were told, only to fire if the Russians crashed on Alaskan soil. Hold on. Only to fire only if they crashed? Fire. If we shot them down, the Russian bombers, we could shoot them down only if they would crash on the ground. Oh, gotcha. So the wreckage had to land on American soil. Okay, I'm following on American you. American soil, not in the Bering Strait. Okay. Meanwhile, that bear is an impressive airplane. It was not quite as fast as our F-102s, but our F-102s were not as fast as they ought to be. They caught up with the bears just about the time they were over the Bering Strait now. Now, Russians have been calling on their radio for help from Providenia, the Russian air base. And there were MiGs coming out of Providenia. A whole swarm of MiGs came up. And they came toward us. And now everybody turned off their lights. This is night. We got a bunch of us, a bunch of them, Russian bombers going that way, Russian fighters coming this way. And everybody turns off their lights. We went zipping past them until we were on the Russian side and the Russian fighters were on the American side. And some of these planes were carrying nukes. And we got the call from our command center to return to base, to return to base, you know, and we know what, we're gonna run into somebody out here in the dark. And so we turned around, everybody went home, nothing was shot. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. We later figured out that the Russians were lost. Everybody gets lost in this world. That is true. We think those Russian bombers were lost, and they didn't discover it until probably the number two guy called the number one guy and said, hey, we're over Alaska. (laughs) And then they turned around and went back. So I think they were lost. Bruce, just their presence over Alaska, I want to ask you, because the way you told that story made me think, just them being over Alaska, was that enough for rules of engagement for you to shoot them down? Yes. 
Wow. Okay. Because they, they were a threat, a very real threat. They could pull a surprise attack on us at any time. Sure. And again, it's a different time that we're talking about in the early 60s than it is here in 2021, because the world is so different now. But back then, there was a lot of suspicion and hostility and aggression and various things, yeah? Okay, I'll follow that up with this F-106 story. Okay. If I may. Please. Okay, after the 102, I went to the F-106. I learned to fly that in radar, and it's a great radar airplane. It was far more advanced. Its ECCM features were impressive. Matter of fact, I think the Russians gave up on ECM because they didn't have anything that would jam the F-106 system. Okay. And I think they really maybe never came back to the levels that they were trying to be because they found they couldn't jam us. Meanwhile, the Vietnam War was cranking up and F-4s were having a hard time with the MiGs over North Vietnam. They decided that, well, I think it was the, a number of groups, the Air Force Academy and a few others, discovered that the F-106 with its light wing loading, it had only 52 pounds per square inch. And I think the um, F-4 is about 75 pounds per square inch. So we were lighter wing loading than the F-4. We could outturn the F-4, and I did, by the way, on a number of occasions. So they wanted to see if the F-106 would do as a example of the MiG-21. The F-106 and MiG-21's performance in turns seemed to be very similar. So they sent some of our fighter pilots out to fly against the instructors at Nellis. And to make a long story short, yes, the F-106 can outturn the F-4 and was very impressive. So they decided to train us in air-to-air combat, which we had never done. So we went through air-to-air combat training, fighter training, and I became an instructor in it. Well, about this time, This is now uh, 1969. The North Koreans did two things. They captured our Pueblo ship from the Navy, which is another story. And then they, we were flying electronic countermeasure, well, electronic intelligence missions in our EC-121 super constellations. They were propeller planes, low and very slow, but they could stay up there forever. And they would fly off the North Korean coast and just record all the radio traffic and radar and whatever from North Korea. Suddenly, the two MiG-21s took off from Wonsan. We had a plane flying off the east coast of North Korea. They flew out and shot down our unarmed EC-121. And this is in 1969? Yes. Okay. And killed 21, I see different numbers, 21, 23 Americans were killed. Because the EC-121 was full of uh, systems operators running different sensors in the whole airplane. So a lot of Americans were killed. And President Nixon had a choice, really three choices. 
He could go to war with North Korea. A lot of people would get killed. He could pull back and not send the EC-121s, which we backed off, or he could send a fighter escort. He decided to send the fighter escort, and they said, who's available? F-106s. By golly, we've just had all this training. And by the way, we've been equipped with aerial refueling. So they started sending F-106 squadrons in rotation to Korea. My squadron was in the second group that went out, rotated out, and we were based at Osan. I went was briefed on a normal mission. This was called BARCAP, Barrier Air Combat Control. And we took off from Osan, four F-106s, flew out east of Korea, air refueled from a KC-135, and flew up the coast of North Korea, just outside of their airspace. So we didn't violate their airspace, but they knew we were there. And the EC-121 was out beyond us. We don't know exactly where he was. I couldn't see him. He was down low and we were up high. Okay. And we flew around. This had been done before. This was not a surprise to anyone. And we flew around till we ran low on fuel. And then we came back south where the tanker was waiting for us. And we hook up and we start getting refueling from the tanker. And they said, MiGs taking off from Wonsan. Oh, well, I guess they're allowed to take off from Wonsan. So we continued to refueling. Then they said, MiGs orbiting Wonsan. And we're refueling. Just about this time, I'm number three in this flight. I got my fuel and I step out. Four is getting his fuel. Then they said, MiGs turning out to sea toward the recon aircraft. That moment, number four said, four is full, off tanker. So now our four 106s were full of fuel and ready to fight. So we turned north, accelerated, and going into our combat formation, which was basically a line abreast, but staggered in altitude over 10,000 feet. So okay. everybody could use their own radar. It was a radar attack formation. Everybody was going to take their own target. We weren't doing this wingman stuff anymore. We're coming out there toward the MiGs, and my flight lead said, how many? 20. <laughs> 20 of them. And we've got four. Okay. Four of you, and how many missiles each? Okay. We had two shots each. Okay. We couldn't stop them all, but we could sure give them some trouble. A bloody nose. We continued on into them. Now, the rules of engagement in this case were they had already shown hostile intent. You were talking about rules of engagement. Mm -hmm. They were deemed hostile. So we could fire first. No question. All right. So we're going to attack 20 MiGs. And we were coming at them. Then they turned around and went home. They thought, might have thought they would scare us off, but they weren't ready to fight. And they turned around and went home, and then we turned around and we just resumed patrol. But I kept thinking after that, what would my 
tactics have been against 20 MiGs. This was actually a perfect setup for the F-106. We carried two radar missiles and two infrared missiles. Okay, we fired them in pairs. So in the MiGs, mostly MiGs 17s, 19s, and 21s, probably only a few 21s, they had no radar. We had radar. We had good radar. We had two radar missiles and could fire on the front. So as we came into this group of MiGs, and I think they'd probably be, I don't know, probably just all over the place. 20 MiGs make a fair crowd. I'll just pick out a target that seems decent for me at the moment, and I'll lock on and I'll come in and I'll fire my radar missiles on the front. Later in my career, I shot down a Bullmark missile coming at me at 2,000 miles an hour. Oh. Their little speed would not be any problem for those missiles. So, but I'm going to be coming in supersonic. They're coming this way, I'm going that way supersonic. Now, they got guns. Those how they see me. I'm coming, there's no way they're going to try to hit me with guns coming on the front. They're going to try to turn around and follow me. Well, I'm not going to turn around. I'm going on 20 miles straight, super sun, and they're not catching me. No, I would say that. By the time they turn around, they can't see me. So now I'm going to turn around and come back with radar. Again, they don't have any radar, but I know there's going to be a whole bunch of MiGs out there. (laughs) So I'm just going to pick out a nice target that seems nice to me and I'm going to come in supersonic with and the 17s and 19s weren't supersonic so there's no way they, and they wouldn't even see me coming mm-hmm. I'd come in with my infrared on the rear and I would get myself a MiG on the way back and he wouldn't even see me coming if they went I was going through their Group of planes, they'd see me flash by. Well, they couldn't do much about it. And I would flash by. I'd come out the other side. I'm out of missiles. Winchester. Retire. I'll, I'll go home, fly back home to Osan, and have a drink at the bar. <laughs> okay? That's my F-106 story. All right. Well, we will need to save some of these for our coming Century Series episodes. Now, you said you didn't fly the F-101, but you trained against it. Is that what you said? That's more a limitation of the F-101, where I was a target for the F-101. Okay. To put it flatly, even though I was slowed down to Mach 1.2 at 45,000 feet, they couldn't catch me because they were down low and they used up all their fuel. Every time they tried to snap up behind me, they'd lose speed. I had four of them back there trying to get me and none of them could get me. And I was just cruising along at minimum afterburn, <laughs> not doing anything, trying to be a nice target. No, Bruce. Uh, the 101 could not match the 106, even in minimum afterburn. Bruce, did the Century Series aircraft come out or debut or IOC, as we would call it, in the order of their numbering, or did they come out in different order? Do you recall? Pretty much. Okay. 
That was at least the order they were designed in, right? They were designed in the order. Not a big gap. Okay. And my last stories for the next time will be the F-100. All right. I've got some stories from the F-100. We do have a General Goddard. Does that name sound familiar? He's lined up to do our F-100 episode. Okay. And we have your friend Ray Janes lined up. I believe he's doing the F-102. Does that sound right? F-102. Okay. We're going to talk. tell Ray Janes' story. We can do that on on the uh, 102 episode. Uh, We're going to have you do the F-106 episode. So you're going to wrap up our Century Series. We'll have you as our guest for that one. Let's see. The F-105. Oh, I forget the gentleman's name suddenly. But if you want to skip on that one, we can give you a break since we'll be using you quite a bit if you don't have much overlap with the F-105. I do have a good F-100 combat story, though. All right. Some of the people talk about high level, you know, what went on in the headquarters and all that. But I have a good uh, uh, one for um, shooting up troops on the ground. Oh, all right. Hopefully enemy troops. Fortunately, they were. (laughs) And I was using napalm. Ooh. (laughs) Bruce, you're so full of stories, you should write a book. I did. I wrote a book. It's called Spirit of Attack. I just happened to have a copy of it. You sent me this about two years ago when I first started the Fighter Pilot Podcast. (laughs) Yes. Uh, It's available on Amazon for about $37. But if you send $20 to Bruce Gordon at 105 Broadbill Court in Georgetown, Kentucky, 40324, uh, with $20. I'll send it to you, postage and taxes paid. Oh, boy. I also endorse them all. But, um, yeah, it's better for me if you send them. Yeah. Amazon takes most of the money. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a signature in mind. Thank you yes. very much. I've read most of it. I confess I haven't read all of it. But there's uh, photos of a, of a younger Bruce Gordon there, it looks yes. like. So I'll get that address from you, and I'll put it in the show notes. But, uh, yeah, it's good, good reading. You, you do talk about your time in Alaska and Korea and Vietnam and all these places you said that you've been, but no nice places, huh? (laughs) No nice places. Okay. Well, I really am looking forward to this century series. Now, let me ask you this. I don't know. Do you still do any flying now? I did in a T-34 and they had modified it with a new engine, but I thought it would be simple. That's the first thing I soloed in, but I discovered the Propellers are not good for aerobatics because I thought the simplest thing in the world would be an aileron roll. In a jet, it's the easiest thing you can think of. Pull up the nose and roll it over. That's right. Not in a propeller. I didn't even think about it. I pulled up the nose in this T-34. Just as cat, I thought I just got to do a roll. But no, I started to roll. And the gyroscopic action of the propeller took over, and it pulled me way over, upside down, and I did a lousy barrel roll it turned into. And I pulled out of that, and I said, you know, maybe I'm getting too old for this stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Bruce, if you'd have been in a pit special or an extra 300, I bet pilots of those aircraft might dispute your assessment of prop planes in general, prop planes as a class. But what I was leading to is I want to ask you this. If you could, uh, whether today or in your younger years, walk out on a flight line and there's one of every aircraft you ever flew 
and you could make yourself instantly proficient or at least able to go fly it, which one would you head towards? Which was your favorite? The F-106. Okay. Absolutely. And you had the most hours in that one, I think you said. Is that right? Yes, I had uh, 300 hours in the F-100, 600 in the F-102, and 1,200 in the F-106. It was a great airplane. All right. And then you did get to fly some other things, but in lesser hours. Did you say you, f you flew the F-4, or did you just say you fought against it? I flew in the back seat of an F-4, but only a couple of times. Okay. Can't call that more. It was to, to do some test work. Uh, okay. But All I right. was strictly riding along. I, I did get some stick time, but not very much. How many flight hours in the aggregate over your whole career? About 4,200. Okay. Wow. That's a lot. And that's mostly fighters? Mostly fighters. Lots of landings. Mm -hmm. Nearly killed myself a number of times, but those are other stories. <laughs> Do your takeoffs <laughs> equal your landings? Yes. Takeoffs are optional, landings are mandatory. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bruce, you are uh, <laughs> quite the character, and I think you're the perfect person to help us get through the Century Series. So if you're willing, we're going to bring you back, and I'll have a little outline for you as we, what I'll have you do is I'll have you listen to the interview, and then I'll have an outline for you that we can discuss each of those, and I might even have some listener questions that you'll need to answer. Does that sound okay? Yeah, I'll be particularly interested to hear General Goddard in his comments on the F-100. As I say, I have some stick time of shooting him up that I don't know if he had or not. Well, he has an interesting story. Our friend uh, Trevor Boswell will be conducting that interview. But he has an interesting story about an aircraft that he flew in Vietnam that was found outside at a... I don't remember if it was on a stick in front of a base or where it was. It was a bit dilapidated. And then he was able to help an effort to recover it, refinish it. And now I believe it's in a museum down in Georgia inside. So anyway, that should be a good story. We'll look forward to that. So, all right, Bruce, well, uh, tell you what, let's call it a day for now and we'll get you back for the Century Series. And I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Thanks to our title sponsor, National University. National University is committed to supporting veterans, active duty personnel, and military families through flexible online courses and master's and doctoral programs in high-demand fields, providing excellent career advancement opportunity. National University is a yellow ribbon school that proudly accepts the post-9-11 GI Bill and goes the extra mile by offering additional assistance to cover expenses that may not be covered by the GI Bill. To learn more, visit nu.edu forward slash veteran.